Are you one of those people that asks random questions to the universe or to yourself and you just feel like you can't quite get a clear answer? Or maybe even you continue to find yourself obsessing over the same thing again and again and you can't quite find clarity? Well, I completely relate. (laughs) I do that so often in my life and on what would appear to be such trivial matters, but they seem to really affect the momentum of my life. As a result, I have come up with a podcast called One Together. And One Together is literally going to be your place to go where you can potentially get answers to those questions. If we don't ask the right question that week, all good, write to us and we're going to go out and we are going to seek an answer to that exact question that you're asking. My name is Heather Maltman and you may have recognized me from random meaningless media stuff that I have fallen into purely out of my own inability to know what I want and where I'm going in this lifetime. And I started this podcast with a group of awesome people purely because we want to remind you that you are not alone in this life, that you are not the only person who's asking really weird questions and not feeling like you're getting an answer. I myself have managed to find myself in some really weird situations like finding love on The Bachelor or working in radio on the Gold Coast or playing small roles in TV shows or traveling around the world at the age of 17 to find out why I've grown up in the life that I've grown up in and trying to figure out whether or not, you know, for example, does my mother really have a mental illness or is what she's saying completely normal? Is it okay to grow up without my father? Can I really push through some really tough times in my life? How am I going to pay for acting school? I know, I'll eat oranges and two-minute noodles actually happened. So if you're anything like me, you continue to ask some really weird questions and feel like you're struggling to get answers because maybe you just don't have the resources. So here at the One Together podcast, we are going to spend every week trying to answer some of the most complex questions that we seem to ask ourselves and struggle to find an answer. This week, I started thinking about, am I living my best life? Am I putting the best amount of energy into my life that I possibly can? I don't know. Do you ever do that? You sometimes just think, I'm whinging about stupid shit and I'm just being a total little bitch or like... I could be doing so much more for the community or I could be getting more involved in projects or helping more people or doing more for charities or working harder or being a better girlfriend or being a better boyfriend, whatever it is. I do sometimes think if I died tomorrow, have I been the best possible version of myself? And the truth is, sometimes I don't think so. I don't think I am. The person that I decided to ask this question to is someone that I actually used to follow for years online. I really loved her writing. She used to do like a lot of fashion article writing. Anyway, I noticed that she sort of like went away for a while and then recently she came back into my online life. Her name's Elle Halliwell, right? She's the author of the book A Mother's Choice. If you don't know who she is, uh, you're a crazy person. You need to seriously follow her on Instagram because she's very inspirational and a beautiful human being. But the reason why I decided to ask her this question is because she actually faced this question herself. So I asked whether or not she would come on the podcast for you and allow me to ask her the sort of tough questions around what it's like to have to choose between, am I going to treat myself for life-threatening cancer or am I going to continue with my pregnancy? 
And it's a question like that that makes you really have to look at your life and decide whether or not you are actually sweating the small stuff. I really hope that you enjoy how raw she is and how honest she is throughout this chat. She's incredibly strong. She's a beautiful human being. And we are so lucky to have her in our lives to learn from. Please welcome your guest this week, Elle Halliwell. The following podcast contains coarse language and sexual references. This podcast also makes reference to the effects of and treatment of cancer, which may be confronting to some listeners. Cancer Council Australia is a national NFP organisation which aims to promote cancer control policies and to reduce the illness caused by cancer in Australia. It advises various groups, including the government, on cancer-related issues, acts as an advocate for cancer patients and their friends, and is a major funding contributor towards health research, prevention and education. Call Cancer Council on the 13 11 20 or contact a trusted medical professional for more information. I think I have to start by literally explaining where we are today. We're in your beautiful home. This place is amazing. I literally feel like it's it's in Bondi, but like I don't feel like I'm in Bondi, even though the Bondi Hotel is staring at me right now. Literally staring you in yeah. the face. Yeah. It's like this really cool, like retro, chilled out. I don't know, like I want to drink out of a ceramic mug and eat nachos. That was the way I described it when I came in. <laughs> So true, you did. Yeah. I do have ceramic mugs if you feel like it later. Of course you do. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not shocked by that. I and mean, if you came here on a Saturday night, yeah. you would be like, oh, right, I'm in Bondi. Oh, right, oh, okay, because yes. of the, the people and the noise mm-hmm. and the, the larrikins, oh, yeah. if you will, a uh, term that I use loosely. <laughs> but, yeah, I feel like I don't even know where to start with you, Elle, because I feel like you've lived a thousand lives in the short space of what? I feel like you and I are the same age, aren't we? Early 30s? Early 30s, yeah. Yeah, thought we would be. Um and I've not even come close to the things that you've achieved in um, your lifetime. Sorry, it's crazy. no, that's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> Different, but just as intense. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. But, I mean, you've, you've worked in fashion. You've been an incredible journalist. You've done 10 years in journalism now, I'm pretty sure, from memory. Uh, geez, what haven't you done? I mean, you've, you've been a massive advocate for um, mothers around Australia as well as around the world. You've travelled the world. You're an amazing wife. You work really hard on um, nutrition as well now. Um, you're an advocate for um, helping people make better choices in their life towards health because you have yourself have gone through a pretty massive scare. But I think pretty much the biggest scare a woman can go through in certain ways. Oh, my what God. Am, that's... I <laughs> am I missing anything in that? Like... Yeah, I'm pretty busy. But, I mean, what? who isn't busy these days? Like, ever, mm. That's such a crap word isn't it busy busy you can't really say you're busy because everyone's busy so what's how do you define busy but how do you remain so level-headed and such an easygoing person how do you stay in that space oh I really don't feel like I am level-headed um my son he missed his sleep the day before yesterday and I turned into a bit of a psycho um, yeah, but sleep is a very important necessity in, it in is. the human brain. So yes, I can understand why. That's true. Um, look, I guess for me, especially after everything that I, I've you know been through in the last few years, I just permanently live in like a, a feeling of gratitude because mm. I'm just I feel so lucky to you know live in a, a, a safe place you know in Australia where we don't have you know ridiculous crime. Um, I've got a healthy son. My health's great right now, so I do not take that for granted anymore. 
Uh, I've got, you know, I've got a great support network around me and, I, you know, I have food on my plate every day and, you know, a shelter. Like, I know that that sounds really, I don't know, a bit basic, but, you know, when you really think about it like that, considering that so many people around the world don't have even half of those things. Mm, like clean water. Yeah, that's right. Like, it's hard not to feel grateful when you, yeah. you know, constantly kind of thinking about that. And I guess it's something that, before I got sick, that was definitely something I didn't think about very often. And I, yeah, I think after you get cancer, you kind of like, yeah, this is a good day because I can, you know, walk around, pick the kid, you know, my, my son up from daycare or get some work done and, you know, not fall into a heap or feel really ill. So, yeah. Wow. Well, for anyone who's not sort of followed your story in that way, would you like to recap it or would you like me to recap it? Because I feel like you have probably told this story so many times and I'm so grateful that you're one of those people that share it because you know a lot of people become jaded in it and afraid of it or stuck with it and you yourself you continue to power through which is why I wanted you to talk in the first place. Oh that's so nice and look yeah I have told my story a lot but you know I still get messages from people on Instagram who might not have heard it until recently or even just reached out and said look I've just been diagnosed and I picked up your book and it made me feel less alone. You know? Great book, by the way. You're oh. an incredible writer. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank like, you. It's oh. very, like, as someone who doesn't actually have children, it was a, it's one of those books that you can read even if you aren't in motherhood yet because it opens you up to what it could be like for you to go through it as well. You don't write it just from a, I'm a mum and only mums understand what it's like to be a mum. And it's like you're writing it from that perspective of someone who is having a child, not I have a child and I... I've worked it all out. Oh, it's very I'm glad cool you say like that because yeah. I mean a lot of the book is focused as well on you know my battle with anxiety over the years and mental Amen. health and <laughs> yeah uh. and I think that anyone who's in a, a job that where there's a lot of pressure and, and stress if you're uh, a naturally kind of anxious or sensitive person mm. um, I'm what they call an empath uh, which is someone who really um, feels other people's emotions and like I'm ultra sensitive to other people's emotions. So working in um, entertainment and, you know, for a few years gossip was really not um, the kind of job that I should have been in. And I think that I, I very much feel that getting sick was the universe kind of telling me that this was not the path that I, I should be taking. Um, And so it was a real wake up call. And I feel very much now that I'm, you know, I'm much more attuned to my sensitivity and I embrace it more rather than, you know, I I would try and suppress that and put on a bit of a face. How much does it absolutely ruin you? The more you try to suppress the way you feel about something, especially in the entertainment industry, the more you start to feel cut off from the person that you're actually talking to in the first place. And for some reason, every boss I've ever had tells me to stop being so overly sensitive. And I'm like, but don't you want me to reach a point where I'm understanding what what the other person is going through. Absolutely. Don't you want me to be able to connect with the person I'm interviewing in a way that no one else is so that we get a more honest and real conversation happening? Definitely. See, I yeah. absolutely. And I think it was, is it Brene Brown? She's an amazing kind of inspirational mm. author and speaker. She very much talks about the beauty and vulnerability and, you know, yeah. not necessarily vulnerability being weakness, yeah. but just being a little bit more I actually have a theory that vulnerability is one of the strongest things a human being can do because to be vulnerable, a lot of people look at that like you are weak and they automatically assume, well, if you're showing me how you feel, 
then you mustn't be able to deal with it very well. And it's like, actually, motherfucker. Yeah, that's, it takes a lot of bravery. <laughs> yeah, to... I just unmasked myself in front of you willingly, knowing that you could have that reaction. And I still feel okay within myself. But that's cool. I get where you're at now. I know that you're not strong enough to deal with it yet. And that's okay. I'm going to let you live that life and live in that space. But ultimately, I actually think that ends up making us more sick. Staying in that headspace where we feel like, you know, vulnerability and emotional strength is actually this horrible weakness. Absolutely. And mm. I really think that there's, yeah, that, that kind of contradiction and stuff can really mess you up. Like you've mm. really got to be, I really think that if you're not living true to your values and yourself, then it can you know, manifests itself physically. Yeah. Have you read Louise L. Hay's book? I heal yourself. <gasps> Don't even. Oh, oh, that's so good. Oh, it's not was... heal yourself. You can heal your life. Yeah, you it? can heal yeah. your life. That's it. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. Hey, how? It's like, oh, don't even. When she died, I was like, no, you can't take her yet. The world isn't ready to deal without her. She's just, she was like something else, that woman. Did you, when you went through your um, cancer battle, did you read that back part where, it goes through where you manifest emotions in your body and what they all mean and stuff. Yes. Yeah. It's, it, yeah, it's an incredible book. There, actually, there was, I read so many books during that time. Mm. Um, what else did I read? I read um, um, Frankl's um, The Search for Meaning. Oh, I Victor Frankl. I think yeah. it sounds Victor Frankl. That was really powerful because it was um, documented his time in a um, concentration camp. Victor Frankl. Holy shit! Talks about his time in, in a concentration camp and how the all of the studies did, that that were done on people, you know, who were going through that mm. showed that the people who had that um, kind of positive mental outlook mm. were the survivors because it's not necessarily about, you know, where you are in, in your life or your situation, it's how you perceive it. And that was one of the things that really got me through that idea of, hang on, it's not, you, you can kind of take what you want from any situation. And so for me, I was like, okay, well, what positives can I take from the fact that I, I'd gotten sick? Um, so back to our conversation. In 2016, um, it's kind of, I guess- So it's not that long ago. No, I need. Well, it's about the, three years ago. It'll be three years ago. The way you deal with it, it feels like it's been a lifetime ago. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like you're so in a whole other headspace. Like comparatively, like from what I've seen from friends of mine who have gone through something similar to you. Yeah. Like okay, sorry. It's, I it's, well, it's I just, guess it's, it's interesting. Well, so basically, I guess it was almost three years ago to the day was when things started to kind of show up. So it was when I I, I went to the doctor because I had a, a f bit of food poisoning and I went to get some tests because me and my husband wanted to um, try and have a baby. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to check my folate and stuff. Anyway, it came back um, that I had high platelet levels and I didn't really know mm. what that meant. No, I don't, so I'm... platelets are the, the blood cells that clot your blood. Oh, so they, they sound necessary. Yes, they are. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I had a few too many. Apparently. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> but they can rise and, and fall depending on, you know, if you get a virus, sometimes they can kind oh. of rise. And so that's why he thought there was nothing to worry about because I'd okay. been sick. So I went and got another test two weeks later and it also came back um, that they were higher. Even higher? Even higher. So I was referred to a, a haematologist mm. and they, um, they brought me in, did all these tests and were like, look, we'll call you back in three weeks. And then the next day they called me first thing in the morning and said... Are you kidding? That fast? Yeah, and they said, we'd like you to come in 
um, a little earlier. Can you come in on Monday morning? This is on a Thursday. And can you bring a loved one with you? And of course, that yeah, that's, you know, just said to me, okay, there's something really wrong. So that yeah. was really, really scary. That'd be like going for a pass mirror and then being like, bring someone to hold your hand. And it's like, I'm good. Yes. <laughs> I don't need to. Exactly. Just do what you got to do and all. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And so I was like, well, clearly it's not just something, mm. you know, minor. Uh, and so, yeah, I found out that actually later that night through my GP because I was beside myself because I knew that there was something wrong, but I wasn't going to wait the whole weekend. Uh, and then, so that was on the Thursday. And then, um, I was diagnosed with um, chronic myeloid leukemia that night and that was just there was devastating I mean me and my husband were just we just held each other on the couch for god I can't even remember how long and then we had to break the news to our friends and family which was oh, horrific geez. and then on the Saturday um, I took a pregnancy test because I'd taken one a couple of weeks before and it came back negative so huh. when I took that second test I really was not expecting anything to be the, the case and yeah. in fact I was pregnant oh. so it was uh, yeah really really upsetting so to be clear for people that aren't you know across how severe cancer can be during pregnancy because the treatments people don't realize it kills everything in your body it's not an easy process to go through yes. and so to be pregnant when you're trying to go through cancer treatments it's, it's virtually impossible. Yeah, and the, well, and the thing is as well, because there's so many different cancers, mm -hmm. there's so many different kind of scenarios that you can, you know, because there are some cancers where you can have intravenous chemotherapy, um, yeah. I believe, um, while you're pregnant. However, the treatment that they wanted to put me on, I couldn't take while I was pregnant. So right. the doctor recommended me, strongly recommended me to um, terminate the pregnancy Oh, go straight on fertility treatment, which in my mind just did not sound right, mm. and then go on this treatment. Um, because we, at this stage we weren't sure how far along I was in the cancer, how far it had developed, and there's basically three kind of um, developments of this cancer. So you've got um, the first one's the chronic phase, which can last you know a couple of years, and then it you know ends up getting to like the accelerated phase, and then the blast phase, which is can be fatal um, and so I didn't know first of all where I was at in you know in that timeline and also I didn't know how the pregnancy was going to affect the cancer because as you know you know some of the more hormone related mm -hmm. um, cancers can be accelerated if you're pregnant um, now because the cancer that I had is so um, kind of rare among young women who are of you know pregnancy age there wasn't really any literature to kind of go on as to whether or not, you know, this um, this cancer would be accelerated or, or not during the pregnancy. So that's one of the things that was really scary to me. And I had to wait until I gave birth to, to start on the treatment. Um, and the new drugs that I would be eventually put on had basically taken this cancer from a death sentence. Before the year 2000, people with chronic myeloid leukemia had about a three to five year survival rate on wow. average like it was considered one of the really 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 bad cancers right okay. um it's like a slower growing cancer if that makes sense um yeah so this new treatment um if you know you were treated early enough then it could you know give you a really really great outlook on life you know some oh. people's didn't um, respond don't respond as well if they got a mutation um but hopefully the 
you know, I was hoping that mine was just going to be standard old chronic myeloid leukemia. Yeah, if there is such one thing. in there. <laughs> and, you know, I was going to respond to the treatment. So anyway, we, we did, um, after getting a second opinion and going down to South Australia, um, we made the choice to continue with the pregnancy, which wasn't easy. Um, but, I mean, now I have a healthy two-year-old toddler. He's so cute. Who's just... He's so cute. That Good name choice, eye. by the way. Oh, thank you. Tall. I love that name. Oh, that's, like, that's good. It's a, yeah. it's a good, he's strong name. He's got a long-winded last name, Biasotto. Oh, he's got a lot to work with there. A little Italian, yeah, yeah. So we thought, make the first name easy. One syllable. It's friendly. Yeah. There you yeah. go. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. that's good. He's got four at the end there somewhere. So <laughs> yes. Yeah, right. he's doing well. Yeah, so going back to, like, I guess that, that period mm. of your life, you're, like people would probably look at your situation now and think, well, how is she just so okay? Mm, yeah. And one of the things that I love about the way you speak when you do talks on what's happened in your life so far and also what you post on social media is you're always saying, um, I'm making sure that I'm living my life within my values and living a more real life. Because I remember hearing you speak once and you said that, you had felt okay with the idea. Oh, this is going to make me cry. Oh, I've got tissues, but don't. Um, you'd said that you were um, comfortable with the idea, more comfortable with the idea of you passing on than someone that you loved because you could kind of control your own destiny in some way. Mm-hmm. And that really, uh, that, that particular moment hit home to me because I've lost so many people in my life that I care about. And it's so much harder for the people mm. around. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, and it's like you always feel like, I wish I could stand in front of that bus for you because I just want you to live more of your best life. And so from that moment, you had this amazing revelation where you realised that you weren't actually living your best life, you could do better. And you went out and decided that you were going to completely reform the way you were putting yourself out there and the person that you were. And how 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 did you how did you actively go about doing it because every now and then i have moments where i think i'm doing it i'm living my best life you know like starting this podcast for example but there are still moments where my malleable little brain decides to go back to anxiety and back to negativity and being mad at stupid shit that really doesn't matter how do you do it how do you continue to push forward every day i think the the first thing that you've got to realize is that you're always going to have those moments. Mm. You know, we're human beings. I think that unless you're, you know, a monk living in Tibet with, you know, no other things to kind of think about, you're going to have moments where you're stuck in traffic and, you know, you want to grab a baseball bat and hit someone's car. Like it's... <gasps> it's just... Yeah, yeah. it's going to happen. And that, that's the thing. Like we're human beings. We have emotions and shit happens as well. So that's one thing that for me I'm content with now. Like I don't try and be sage all the time or anything like that. And I know that sometimes you just need to get emotions out and that's fine. Um, But I think that really there were, I guess, two things. The first of all was every day that I would wake up when I was in the middle of, you know, going through the pregnancy and stuff and I could, you know, sit up in my bed, put my feet on the floor and go, okay, you know, I can get up today. Like, this is a, a great day. You know, I can go for a walk. Um, I can tell my family that I love them. Like, this is a, a really great day. And I think that was one of the things that kind of got me through. And mm. 
it started a habit of being grateful. And I think that being, if you can kind of form a habit, then it just becomes easier. It's like a muscle, you know, the more you use it, the stronger it gets. And so I'm a lot quicker now to get back to that place. Whereas before, you know, I would sit in my mood and my emotion and kind of wallow in it. Mm. But now I'm like, no, that's just a human emotion. It's not who I am. Like, I'm, yeah, okay. I've, like, I got angry emotion. You know, I try not to kind of, you know, be, I, you know, I'm not my emotions. I just am who yeah. I am, you know. So that was one thing. And I'm, I'm just a lot better at just going, okay, that's gone. Now I'm, you know, back to just being happy that I've got all of this other awesome stuff in my life. And another thing that um, really impacted me mm. profoundly was when I had to, in those first few days when I really didn't know what was going on, I actually did think about my funeral and what was going to happen if everything went pear-shaped. And it got me thinking about what people, who was going to kind of talk at my funeral. And I thought, what would I want them to say? And I was absolutely devastated that I couldn't think of anything really amazing that I'd done in my life that I wanted them to talk about from, you know, a, a place of, you know, helping others and, you know, being a good person. I was like, all I'd done for most of my life is put my career first. You know, I'd missed out on birthdays and anniversaries and important things in people's lives. And, you know, I might be dying. And so it really forced me to kind of reevaluate everything and yeah, redefine my values and go back to, I guess, what I wanted to, to give the world mm. if I did get that second chance of being able to do so. So yeah. that was really something that did profoundly change, change how, I, how I saw the world and how I saw myself. We're just going to take a quick break here because we actually have to take a minute to tell you about who helped get this podcast into your ears today. If you're anything like me, you are super mental health conscious, right? And therefore, you're maybe not a big drinker. I don't take drugs and I barely even touch Panadol if I can help it. So for the last few years, I've not been able to drink. So as soon as I have a glass of wine, I actually get these horrific migraines that are so bad. I feel like my brains are exploding. It's like... Actually, that was a pretty good sound effect. I'm proud of that. Basically, I found these guys called Body Armor. And no joke, this stuff was probably made by garden pixies or scientists. I mean, it's, it's the same thing. Actually, it is listed with the ARTG and pregnant women take it for nausea. Get it from bodyarmor.com.au or use their store locator online. Basically, you drink it before you drank it and it protects your liver. So get around that. I sounded so popular just now. Boom. Just get it. It's good stuff. Thanks for listening. You're one of our valued people. How about we get back into that chat? Mark Manson talks about um, uh, facing your own death in The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Have you read that book? I love it. I love that book. It's when a I, great book. Oh, man, when I first started reading it, I got really mad at him. And then as I kept reading, he talked about the audience member who's reading this and getting angry. And I was like, oh, he's talking to me now. <laughs> <laughs> That's annoying. Such but, a good um, book. Yeah, at the, towards the end of the book, I love how he starts talking about, you know, facing your own death and facing the fact that we are all going to eventually leave this earth that we're on. Mm. And um, I found that quite profound because I'm not sure about you, but the idea of death is something that I have thought about 
a lot in my life. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also because I've, I've seen a lot of people pass away, unfortunately. I've been to more funerals than weddings in my lifetime. He talks about how the moment you become completely comfortable with the fact that you are not going to be here forever is the moment you can stop giving a fuck about stuff that really doesn't matter. Yes. And that's what I took away from that book. That is, yes, exactly, that's right. And that is why a few weeks after I got diagnosed, my anxiety went away. And it went away for probably about 18 months, like completely. Didn't have to think about it at all. And this is something I've been battling to the point where I'd seen so many people thinking that I didn't have anxiety. I actually had some kind of like lung disease because I couldn't breathe because of the, you know, the pressure on my chest all the time. That is... Like literally, yes. And it's because I no longer gave a fuck about anything that wasn't important in my life. And it subconsciously just erased my anxiety. And it's interesting that when I went back from maternity leave and all of these things that I just hadn't given a fuck about returned to my life, Mm. the anxiety started to return as well. Shut up. And fortunately, what I was able to do is being able to kind of consciously realize that you know the reasons behind my anxiety disappearing kind of taught me lessons that I've been able to use to kind of minimize it now and so it's nowhere near as bad as it used to be Um, but yes it's um it is really interesting about like you know when you no longer worry about any of that bullshit Mm. it just you, you know, you no longer feel any reason to be anxious because you're no longer thinking about the future so much. You're kind of living in the in the present yeah. moment. So it's like mindfulness. Yeah, My, mindfulness. Yeah, that is definitely one of those ones. It's like an interesting practice. And I love when um, there's a guy called Aubrey Marcus in America who talks about mindfulness. He's like, fill your mind with the things that you want to focus on. He's like, think of mindfulness that way. And I was like, damn you, Aubrey Marcus, you're sexy and you're smart. (laughs) (laughs) He's very sexy. Oh, I'm going to have to look him up then. Oh, oh, listen to his, you will love his podcast. Yeah, Yeah, he's got an amazing podcast. He talks to all different people that are, I guess, in some way spiritually awakened, whether it's sexually, physically, mentally, emotionally, um, within the fitness industry, within, actually, you'd really enjoy the ones that talk more about um, naturopathy and stuff like yeah. that and, and get really into the foods that you should be putting into your body. And he has a great book that's all about the way you fuel your body is how you will fuel your life. So what you put into your body will literally be your outcome. So if you're going to put shit in there, you're going to get shit back. Yeah. He's like, if you if you don't get good sleep and not like long sleep, he's talking about good sleep. Yeah then there's no way your body can work well the next day. What do you think is going to happen? Of course, you're going to be tired and grumpy. Fascinating. And he goes into detail about how important it is that even if, and this is something that I wanted to actually talk to you Mm. about as well. When my father was, um, he had pancreatic cancer, unfortunately, and he passed away from it. And in the six months that we knew he had it to the day that he passed away, I was one of his primary carers. And then my sister took over in the last like month or so. And in that time, I was dating this guy and my sex drive, it just went way down. It just, it was gone. And I was in my early 20s, but it didn't matter what I did. I couldn't even imagine touching him. I didn't want to kiss. I didn't want to do anything. 
And reading Aubrey's book now, he talks about how there are other ways to be sexual apart from just intercourse and orgasms and all that sort of stuff. Mm. He's like, you can just be sexually minded. You can just fantasize with someone or you can just, you know, a gentle touch is enough that can be sexual between you and that person or giving the other person time to, you know, be sexual on their own if they can't be sexual with you and understanding that process and the importance of it with human beings, blah, blah, blah. It's amazing. Mm. But I wondered in your time that you were going through treatments and stuff and even because you're still doing treatment now, aren't you? Yeah. So the treatment that I'm on is an oral form of, I guess, chemo. It's called a tyrosine kinase inhibitor. Oh uh, I know. It's a very... Yes. There's some syllables. That's right. So <laughs> fortunately, the first few months that I started taking it, I had a whole bunch of symptoms. You know, I lost some of my hair. Um, I broke out in all of these skin rashes and, you know, I was exhausted. They were, they were really uncomfortable. Um, but fortunately, a lot of the symptoms, uh, kind of my body just got used to the drug. It started to tolerate it better. So a lot of them started to ease after the first few months. And really the only kind of things that I battle with today while I take the medication is fatigue okay. and a little bit of chemo brain. So what's chemo brain? Uh, it's just, just like a fog. It's like if... I will sometimes forget my best friend's names, for example, oh. or something like the, the name of a utensil. And I'm like, how is that? And sometimes it'll just be more of like a, a general fog where you just feel like you just can't, you, your mouth can't keep up with your brain or your brain can't keep up with your mouth because yeah. it's just not working. Like you can't fully. find the information or something that's yeah. meant to be there. You just don't feel as sharp. I, I remember talking to my dad when he was sort of going through his ordeal, I guess, and I suppose his is a little bit different to yours in that um, he was in the final stages. He wasn't in a situation where there was really any, there was no space to fight. Yeah. It was just, this is it, accept it, make the best of it for what it is. And I remember being this like gung-ho and in there with all these ideas on how we were going to fight it. And I was like, we're going to fight this dad. You're going to be fine. And like I'd cook him all these meals and I'd take him to all these appointments and I'd be, you know, trying to show him all these ways that he could help heal his body. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I guess I'm curious, like, what have you, what were your ways of attempting to, to cure your mind and cure your heart and cure your body of what was happening to you so that fear didn't take over yeah. because I just watched him let fear just rule everything he did, yeah. everything. Yeah. I lost my dad before he even oh. really passed away. That's really sad. Mm -hmm. I think for me, I was lucky because I had this little seed of hope. Like, and I, well, that sounds a little bit, you know. Well, it was beautiful. But, it makes me want to grow out my armpit yeah, hair. It's so, <laughs> it's so true. I had something to live for. I had something to fight for. Mm. And I think that that's so powerful. Like I realized how powerful, you know, the love of an unborn child can be to, you know, keep you pushing forward because I felt when I kind of, me and my husband had, had made our choice, it was like, okay, well, now I've got a reason to fight and I'm gonna fucking fight as hard as I can to keep this child. So that manifested itself in so many different ways from just, you know, the fact that I started to walk you know, eight Ks a day, um, you know, just to keep my fitness up and my energy levels up. And I would, you know, spend so much time in the kitchen cooking super healthy organic meals because I, you know, I was cooking with so much love um, that, you know, I just, 
I needed to to feed this little being inside me and nourish my own self so that you know we could get through it and it was a beautiful distraction because I was no longer kind of focusing on what I'd lost which was my health but I was focusing on what I could gain yeah. through the you know the birth of this child mm. so it was yeah that was a really really interesting it's a, yeah it's it's funny because I had no precedent to kind of work off like here I was dealing with cancer for the first time and also dealing with pregnancy for the first time so some people kind of go well how how was that you know being pregnant and having cancer I'm like well I didn't know anything else so for me it was it just it, it was what it was it so was. Yeah. for me it'll be interesting if you know I manage to have another baby at some stage in the future how different that experience will be from you know my first child before I uh, let you go today, the last thing I wanted to talk to you about is uh, dietary stuff because it was one of the things that I couldn't get my father to do when he was sick. He refused to eat organic. He refused to eat things that were potentially going to help him. I remember doing so much research into specific foods that were good for people that were fighting cancer. He wasn't even able to do chemotherapy. You know, it was that he was that sick. Yeah but I just wanted to at least prolong his life as long as possible, but also make him as comfortable as possible. Yes. And I remember him eating like this, like he was trying to eat curries and stuff. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, you are literally like feeding stomach acid right now, more acid. Like this is not helping you. You're putting more chili into your body. That yeah, drove me crazy. And then he drank red wine and it was crap cask wine. He'd be like, I'm drinking it for the flavor. And I'm like, no, you're not. Oh. <laughs> it's cask wine, you stupid yes. man. <laughs> I did my head in. And that's the thing, back to the whole idea of control. Like when it's happening to you, you know, you can control stuff. But I mean, yeah, it's true. You can't tell anyone what to do. Yeah. Um, and that's something that for me, I really want to, I guess, kind of lead by example. Yeah. And if someone, you know, takes something from what I'm doing in my life and uses it, you know, for their own, like that's amazing. But you're right. Some people do not want to change. There's so many people out there that are leading by example. So you can, you know, find find those people and follow them on Instagram. And I really believe in the Instagram should be a place where you find inspiration and happiness, not feel like you're, you know, you shut it down and you're left wanting. Yeah. You know, you shouldn't close down your Instagram and go, oh, I feel like I don't have this or this, my life should be like this. I really feel like everyone should make sure that the Instagram feed is a place of positivity. Yeah. Um, one of my friends said to think of Instagram like um, it's your own magazine, like you're building your own magazine. Yes. So like the people that you're following are the articles. So if you're going to follow a bunch of, you know, crappy, you know, salacious, gossipy things online, all you're going to do is read the tabloids. But if you follow scientists, if you follow um, health gurus, if you're following people about yoga or about meditation, if you're following travel guides, like actual travel guides, not just... <laughs> You know, Insta bloggers who get paid to wear outfits on nice beaches, which I'm jealous of, but stop it. I sometimes like to think that um, some of those photos that are taken where they're like super, super glamorous, a tropical cyclone's just come over. <laughs> and this is the eye of the storm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's looked good for a little bit, but in actual fact, that shit got fucked up like real quick. Yes. <laughs> That's what I like to think of. I like that. I'm going to yeah. steal that. Yeah. It's, um, it's a good thing to remember. <laughs> yes. You're on a tropical island. Anything could happen. I don't know where to go from there. Yeah, no, <laughs> I mean, really we, could, we could definitely leave it on Tropical Storm. That's well, easy. We definitely could. Um, but, yeah, look, I mean, for, for me, I'm just, you know, going forward, I really just want to 
you know, share what I've learnt from from what I've gone through. Um, just to, to make sure that other women who have been in this situation, you know, don't feel alone if they, they find themselves, you know, di- with a diagnosis so early on in their age. And um, I also really want to make sure that young women realise that, you know, your career isn't the be-all and end-all of your life and you should prioritise health from a really young age. Mm. Um, so, message, yeah, it's really important because I think that we all think we're so invincible when we're in our 20s. And I think we also get stuck in this whole thing of like, if I don't advance in my career, then I haven't lived a full feminine life because, you know, otherwise all I've led is men and oppress me. And it's like, honey, some men are going to try and oppress you, whether you're in an industry or if you're married with children. Exactly. Like, if all you like, want to do in your life yeah. is, you know, be a you know stay-at-home mom, raise great kids and cook and clean. Like if yeah. that's your thing... I can get after it. Be do the it. best housewoman you've ever been. Yeah. Like, yeah, just do your own thing. Like, yeah. just be true to your, to yourself and your values. And I really don't think you can go wrong. Okay, now, if that did not set your heart on fire and just set everything ablaze, then you are dead inside because that woman is so incredibly humble and motivating and beautiful. She has absolutely no idea how captivating she is. You are just in awe of her human self. You know what I mean? You know those people that just when they're speaking, you can't look away and you can't stop listening. That is her. So I really hope you enjoyed my podcast with her this week as much as I enjoyed speaking with her about everything that she's doing. Her book is A Mother's Choice. Make sure you get a copy of that. And this week only, she has given us a copy to give away to one of our One Together listeners, which is amazing, and she signed it for you. So make sure you follow my Instagram page, Heather underscore Maltman, to find out how that will work and what you will need to do to score that little nugget of gold. And it is a nugget of gold. It's so well written. We're always keen to hear your thoughts and feelings. And you can do that across all social media platforms on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube under my name, which is just Heather Maltman. Otherwise, you are more than welcome to send us an email, which is onetogetherpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can also head to the website, which is literally a hub of all of the information that we share across every platform. That is onetogetherpodcast.com. So once again, thank you so much for joining us. And hopefully we are helping remind you that one is in fact not the loneliest number. Massive thank you to Cell, Miles and all the team at Hype Group. This is a business that leverage high quality content on digital channels and marketing to create relevant hype. Basically, if you have a business that needs leveraging high quality content like One Together Podcast did, then these are the guys to see. They did all of our logos and they're awesome. So here at the One Together Podcast, we love them. They rule. Head to their website, hypegroup.co, info at hypegroup.co, or their number is 0407-596-598. And we will catch you around like a donut. Oh, yeah.